Hello, this is Reverend Judith Laxer. Thank you for listening to the podcast of our service entitled Furious for Good. Wherever you are tuning in from all over the globe, I'm so glad you're here. My wish is that the food for thought offered brings great nourishment for your soul. Our ministry for the goddess is supported solely by those who, like you, partake of its teachings. If you feel served by listening, please click the donate button now and give generously. We'd be most grateful. Thank you and blessed be. Well, my friends, onward we go. Continuing it to learn the principles of Valerie Kaur's revolutionary love as part of the revolutionary love project. And uh, before we go any further, activating revolutionary love, I'm going to ask Mari to put that compass back up so we can kind of orient to see where we are. So here comes the slide of the revolutionary love compass. There it is. That's the compass of revolutionary love. And we started in the upper left-hand corner there. Uh, we can see in the outer ring that there are three sections to this compass. Loving others, loving opponents, and loving ourselves. We started with loving others by seeing no stranger. And we started in the center with the principle of wonder. Then we moved on to grieve. Last month, we moved on to fight. And we have completed the first third of the compass. Now we're moving on to loving our opponents. Challenging. And that we do by tending the wound. And we begin toward the center with rage. So that's where we are right now with rage. Okay, Mari, thank you for that. So uh, we completed that first third by loving others because we have hopefully embraced and integrated that we are learning to see no stranger, that everyone and anyone that we see is no longer a stranger, even if we find that we are very different from them or they are very different from us. Now we learn to love our opponents by learning to tend the wound. And the first principle, as I said, is rage. Now, I want to say, which is something that Valerie says over and over in her work, this is hard work. This is not easy, simple stuff. It is deep and difficult and challenging. It's a new way of seeing the world, a new way of being in the world. It's not just an intellectual concept. We are just being introduced to it for the first time. And it's important for us to remember also that this is the work of a lifetime. This isn't something we come to understand and, oh, we're, you know, got it. And we're experts at it right away. It can be the work of a lifetime. And part of what we remember about that is that if we spend our lifetime learning to enact the principles of revolutionary love, we are setting up a different future for those who come after. And in a world, in a world that is so conditioned toward immediate gratification, we want to see the results of our work right away. Um, the concept that what we are doing, the fruits of which we might not see in this lifetime might seem odd, but it's beautiful. And it's one that we need to remember so that when we don't see the immediate results, we don't lose heart and we don't lose momentum. So uh, all that matters is that we keep trying to employ these principles, not that we get them perfectly, but that we keep trying. And in sometimes by not getting them perfectly, it reminds us of our humanity, 
which is also a huge part of revolutionary love. So it's all good. So I will admit that last month's fight and this month's rage were very challenging for me. They have surely challenged me. I mean, how to talk about fight and rage in a temple whose primary value is love, you know? Um, it seems counter to our mission, and yet when you break these principles down and see how to apply them, they show us new ways to love, uh, give us more to include and integrate in becoming the most loving beings that we can be. So, of course, I went to look up the word rage. Of course, I did. And in addition to all the wonderful synonyms like fury, anger, wrath, temper, ire, indignation, and verbs like fume, storm, sieve, one of my favorites, thunder, a new word for me, fulminate. Well, I had never heard fulminate, explode and erupt. I learned that the word rage originates, as so many of our words do, in the Latin from the word rabies, which is a viral disease that is kind of a madness. And that's kind of what happens, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing if we're annoyed, it's something we get a little ticked off about or we're angry. But if we are enraged, it's, it's overwhelming and it takes over like a madness. It's like, you know, that's when we say we saw red or in court, people will say it was temporary insanity, like something else comes in and it takes over. That's how strong rage can be, like rabies can make you mad. So how does love enter into rage? Valerie tells us that what makes the kind of love, this kind of love revolutionary is the fundamental orientation of which is to look upon another, even those who you feel are causing your rage and think you are a part of me I do not yet know. Now this is part of what's so challenging because we are so quick to judge others' behavior and thinking, and, and we say, well, I would never. What's wrong with them that they would when I would never? But when we keep employing the principle, like, you are a part of me, I don't yet know. You are a part of me, I don't yet know. It brings us all back onto pretty much the same human level, and it's remembering our humanity that is revolutionary. So what does it look, what does it mean to look upon the face of someone who has hurt you or disagreed with you or whose beliefs have caused harm to you or those that you love? It means that we must tend the wound. And there's two ways that we tend the wound. We tend the wound within ourselves, and we also recognize the wound that is in whoever we perceive is the perpetrator of the harm. We cannot learn to love our opponents, however, until we first tend the wound in ourselves. And so we might think that that's, you know, pretty selfish to take care of ourselves when the world is, you know, a mess and there's so many other things that need to be done. Um, but this comes under the heading of, you know, putting on the oxygen mask on, on yourself before someone else because we have to be okay to do the work to be of service. We can't keep ignoring our own tenderness and our own woundedness and expect to be at our best. So we have been conditioned, and I will say especially women have been conditioned, to suppress our rage, to deny our rage, that rage is ugly and it is inappropriate, that it is unacceptable and it is gauche 
and it is just horrible and we should not have it, we should not feel it, and one way or another we should not show it or express it. We must suppress it. So what Valerie reminds us is that love is sweet labor and meaning it's not just one rush of emotion or a rush of only one emotion, that love is like an umbrella. It encompasses all of the emotions. It includes all of the emotions. And so revolutionary love teaches us that joy is the gift of love and grief is the price of love and anger is the force that protects that which we love. I know I'm saying these things again month after month, but I'm telling you, it just, it takes a while for that to really get in. That love is not just, you know, pretty, happy, um, sexy, uh, delightful. Love is many things, including sweet labor. And the sweet labor comes in with emotions that are less than comfortable and pretty and wonderful and ones that we want to feel all the time. That's what makes it revolutionary. So here's the bit of science about love and what it does to the body, which is when we feel love, the body releases the hormone oxytocin, which is the love hormone. And the more love that we feel, the more we bond with a beloved, the more oxytocin is released into our system and the more bliss that we feel. But this is an interesting thing. When a mother's child is in danger, that oxytocin increases her aggression. So there is a reason for rage that comes out of a blissful love. And that is the part that wants to protect what we love. So to rage is to express our body's most fiery energy, right? There is a heat. That's like, that's why we call it hot rage and hot anger. It's hot. It's hot and it can hurt <laughs> too. Uh, it can burn. So it's not to suppress our rage, which can lead to illness and depression and it's just not healthy at all, or to let it explode, which is dangerous and often happens in, in violent ways. Um, both of those are equally unhealthy, to suppress our rage or to let it explode without care and caution are not good. Either one of those are not good. Um, it has been reported that suppressed rage causes higher rates of autoimmune diseases and it also amplifies the perception of physical pain. When we have suppressed our rage, we feel our pain more acutely and it leads to disease. It just does. So what do we do? This is what we do. We process it in safe containers. Safe containers. And I have several examples of what a safe container can be for our rage. The first one is weeping. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been so angry and so frustrated about what you are enraged about that you start to cry. I have had that experience. I'm sure a lot of you have. Allowing yourself to weep your rage is a safe container. It's an expression. It's a way to get it out of you in a healthy way. Let yourself cry. It's not a bad thing. Weeping, writing, the poison pen letter, you know, just 
write out all your wrath. Don't censor yourself. Don't worry about it, what it sounds like. It's not going to hurt the page. It's not going to hurt the pen. It's not going to hurt the paper. It's just going to get it out of you. Dancing or any sort of physical hard labor is also great to do. Like, you know, like people go, <laughs> they box, you know, go to the gym and really work out, work out a sweat, uh, move rocks and boulders in your garden, like do the heavy work and that is a way to use the energy of rage in a safe container that doesn't harm. Another one is uh, meditation or guided visualization. Go to the place of where you are angry. Allow yourself to feel it. Take some actions in that meditation that you don't actually take in the real world to express what it is that you are feeling. Trauma therapy or any sort of therapy is also good to vent your uh, rage and your anger. And also, of course, my particular favorite, which is ritual. Ritualize it. Create safe and sacred space. Maybe you've written that poison pen letter and then you burn it in sacred space. And you, I think there's something, well, it's true about all ritual, about bringing even mundane tasks uh, that we call ritual gestures when they're done in sacred space. When you bring the sacred to that, it's transformative. It's why our rituals are just so amazing. We're really doing simple things, really. We're singing or we're lighting candles or, you know, I mean, not very complicated gestures at all. And yet they're transformative because they are done in sacred space. I think it's great if you can get together with a beloved or two or three, a group of friends who you trust, create the sacred space together and do a rage ritual where you find one safe way, maybe one or all of these that I've already mentioned, but you do that together in a ritual. And it has a beginning and it has an end. And when it's over, you release the sacred space and that has been the safe container. So important. We think because we know or understand something up here that it's done. And it isn't. That's only one part of us. That's our mind, our heart, our emotion, our deep psyche, and our soul and spirit need to be engaged in that also. And ritual is the way to engage every single part of ourselves in an act of transformation. So process in safe containers. Valerie says that once that rage is outside of our bodies, that we're not just carrying it inside, seething or fulminating, um, we come into a better relationship with it. We come into a relationship with it that is healthier because it's not ruling us from the inside. We can ask then, when we're in relationship with our rage, what does it carry? What information does it carry for us? And then we can ask ourselves, how do I want to harness that energy, that information? And then what do I want to do with it? What action do I want to take with it? So I have a beautiful example for you here. We're gonna watch a video in a moment. Many of us know Oriel Lighten, who actually wrote the So Love chant for us. And she's a beautiful singer and songwriter. She's got a beautiful CD as well. And she was inspired to use her artistry to create the following video just before the last presidential election. So some of the content I mean, it's not going to seem unfamiliar at all. It can probably still be applied in many places in this world and all over. But this was something that she felt she needed to do 
just before the last election. This was her creative, and this was the this is where she put her creativity, and the healthy result of her rage. Okay, so Mari, go ahead and show us that video now. This is Oriel Leiden. We are coming soon.
Powerful stuff, Oreo Leiden. Thank you so much for that song and that video and such a beautiful example. I mean, she's an artist. Not all of us can create a magnificent song and video like that. But just as an example of what to do with the strong emotion of rage that is quite clear and um, a thing of beauty and influential as well. She talks about may divinity reign and so one of the things that Valerie mentions is divine rage, which is the difference between when we are just so upset and angry about something that we feel it gives us license to act out in any way we want, and the divine rage that illuminates and elucidates for us what needs to happen. So I want to talk a little bit about the fierce Indian goddess Kalima. <clears throat> who is the goddess of creation and destruction. If you've ever seen a depiction of her, you know she wears tiger, she's got blue skin and she wears a tiger outfit and she's got a necklace of skulls and her mouth is agape and her tongue lolls out and she drinks the blood of life. She is a fierce goddess and she is not to be messed with. Her rage is necessary but it's not vengeful. It's the rage that reorders the world because what it does is it deconstructs what has been constructed and that deconstruction has to happen first in order for something new to be constructed. When Valerie talks about the injustices in the world, which is why we are engaging in revolutionary love to reorder the world, we can look at what is unjust here and recognize that it's, a, it's part of a system that was constructed. And if it was constructed, it can be deconstructed, right? This is where Kali's sort of rage comes in because she is the creator and she creates through the destruction that is necessary first. Reordering the world is part of what must happen to dismantle those systems. And those systems can be found in all of the isms and all of the phobias and all of the misogyny and all of the places where we find injustice. Valerie says, this is a direct quote from her, divine rage is precise and it is powerful. It's like the focused fury projected from the forehead of a goddess. And the thing about divine rage is that it affirms the humanity of even those who we are fighting. It urges us to reimagine a world, a context where they too are freed from the systems that radicalize them, authorize them, sanction them to commit harm. And then she cites this example. I don't know if you've ever seen the Maori haka dances that erupted in New Zealand. And they were in response to the white supremacist shootings, mass shootings in the mosques there in New Zealand. And the students danced and they grunted and they expressed their rage with some serious facial work and, and body choreography, not with thoughts and prayers, but with the kind of rage that demands action. So the expression of divine rage is what makes people uncomfortable, right? We want civility. Can't we just be civil? civil? Can't we just talk about these things? You know, why do we have to get angry? 
But too often, Valerie says, civility calls for us to silence the pain, which is the impetus behind making changes. Civility sometimes can just tamp it all down. This is why quiet, polite requests uh, have not yet reordered the world. We need to enact our divine rage, not violently, but fiercely. That is a thin line, but it is a very clear distinction. And our job in engaging the principle of rage is to train our ears to hear the rage behind the vengeful or violent act. Now, doing this does not condone or support vengeance or violence, but it does help us understand why it occurs. We don't have to agree with it, but if we understand why that happens, right? Which is something I've been saying in Gaia's temple for years and years, wounded people wound people. It's as simple as that. If we can understand what's the wound that they are acting out of, it doesn't make it okay that they're wounding people, but we understand it. And that gives us just a little bit of detachment and there's a little grace in there. And it helps us to remember our humanity as well as their humanity. It helps us to understand why it happens. It helps us to uh, stop thinking of others who cause harm as monsters and to see them as human again. And that does several things. Of course, seeing everyone as human is a beautiful thing, right? To recognize the humanity in all of us. Um, but it also takes the power a little bit out of it because you see, it's just a human. It's not a God, it's not a monster. It's not something bigger and stronger than us. It's human also, it's wounded and we must tend that wound. It humbles us also because it helps us remember, you are a part of me I do not yet know, which means somewhere along the way, I have also been the one who has caused harm. So if you would, take a moment now, close your eyes and go within. Take a nice deep breath. It's a lot of heavy, rageful conversation here today. I know it is, but hang in there because it's good work and it's worth the effort. Reestablish your connection to your grounding cord that we set down at the beginning of the service. And if you came in after we do that, go ahead and ground yourself now so that you can feel the strong, unconditional love of the mother holding you as we move forward. Now I'd like you to bring your attention to your third eye in the center of your forehead. Imagine it like an actual eye, just like your other two. Go ahead and open it up and look out through it into your imagination and find yourself sitting in a live theater before the show begins. And so in a moment, the curtain is going to go, it's gonna open. And on the stage, you will see an actor playing you in a scene from your own life. A scene in which you were perhaps the angriest you have ever been. A time when we, you were consumed with rage. Strong, hot, fiery rage. And the other actors will be playing whoever else was there at the time. So it'll seem very familiar to you. But now you have the vantage point of watching this scene from the house, which gives you much detachment and watching from this moment in time, instead of when it first and actually occurred, 
uh, will also give you some detachment because it is well after when the incident happened that enraged you. And so now the house lights begin to dim and they go off and the curtain starts to part and you can hear the swoosh of the curtains as it draws aside. So take a moment now and watch the action as you remember the injustice that caused your rage because rage doesn't happen for no reason. It's a response to injustice. And watch it. Watch the injustice that caused your rage and all the dynamics that went into creating this scene. And notice too that you can watch it without emotional injury or emotional re-injury, but you can watch it with curiosity and wonder and a desire simply to learn more about yourself and about the reasons behind the scene. So take a moment now and just watch this scene from the house. Good, and now it's coming to the absolute worst part of it. Perhaps the worst of how you felt or the worst of how you acted. Just stay with it and observe. Good, now continue to watch this scene, but you notice as you're watching it play out in front of you, that you are feeling compassion for yourself in this scenario. I mean, even if you think, oh God, I wish I hadn't done that, you know, even with that, even with any regret that might be in there, you also feel compassion for yourself because you know that you were doing the best you could in that moment. Because had you been able to do any better, you would have. So from this distance and time and space, Ask yourself, what information does this rage give you? What information does it carry? And also, what would or should you do now or next with this rage of yours? And if you're no longer feeling the rage that you felt in the scene on the stage, what assuaged it? Was it some form of reconciliation? Was it simply time? Just gather all the information you possibly can about your rage here in this moment. Take another deep breath and gently bring yourself back here. You might want to go back and revisit that, spend a little more time with it. Maybe write your thoughts and feelings that came up into a journal, a way to either mark and, and kind of keep what the information is that you got from this. You know, I lead these meditations here in Gaia's temple for us to become more intimate with ourselves, for us to have the opportunity to reflect and to find our own truths, even when they are uncomfortable truths. 
even when they are less than perfect. Of course they are. Of course they are less than perfect because we are perfect humans. We are perfect in all of our flaws. And we might think that getting the information about the scene that was so difficult and in which you were enraged is just a way for us to justify our rage. And perhaps that's what you need is to understand and justify why you became that enraged. You know, what might it be like? What might it have been for us if we'd had a safe container for our rage at that time? Or someone who really hurt us and sympathized with us, who took actions on our behalf or was an advocate, or even someone who just witnessed without judgment as we went through the worst of it. How different that whole scene might have been if we'd had that safe container, a loving presence, a witness. It's so important to process our rage in these safe containers first. It takes the overwhelming charge out of it so that then we can use the fuel that this rage is and put it into right action, not burn the whole world up with it. Right? Because when our rage is directed correctly, then it acts to cool it all down when we can take the energy behind our rage and put it into right action, it cools and diffuses it all down. So in a moment, our own Tema Gottschberg is gonna sing a song for us and I just want to acknowledge ahead of time that she was, uh, that we wanna thank the artists who wrote the song, uh, the artists of the band Over the Rhine, because they granted Tara uh, Tema permission to use their soundtrack to sing this song for us in the service today. So go ahead, Tema, take it away. One second while I get the volume set here. with self-preservation. Hey, 
Thank you so much, Tema. Little bit of technical difficulties there. Hopefully you could read her lips on some of those lyrics. And if you miss them, uh, do go to YouTube and look up Spark by Over the Rhine. And because uh, the lyrics are magnificent and they so fit what we were talking here today. Thank you so much, Tema. What we could hear was just beautiful. So my friends, Beltane is fast approaching the time when we honor the earth's fertility and the flowering of mother nature. As the season matures from late spring to early summer, may our rage at injustice be the spiritual force behind peace that blooms like all the beautiful flowers in season. May Kalima help us find our fierceness and may we channel it safely to help reorder the world. May our reordering happen in the sweet labor of ongoing love, love that is so strong and so revolutionary that it soothes and heals such that we lay our cold weapons down. Blessed be.